Good morning. Welcome to worship. It's uh, indeed, I mean, it's a joy to see our children come forward and be reminded of their blessing in the art. It's a joy to see you all and to be able to worship together is a gift, again, that we don't take for granted in these days. So thank you for being here. If you're a visitor, we're particularly glad that you are here. Uh, and in these days, again, just whatever we can do to help make those connections, uh, please introduce yourself to someone you haven't met before. Uh, and just, it's vitally important for us to be strengthening these ties that, that connect us together as God's people. Uh, there is a black pad in your pew, if you could sign that. That's one of our ways of knowing who's here this morning. There are also our prayer cards in the pew. If you have particular prayer concern, uh, we have a team of folks who would be glad to pray for it, to fill it out, to give it to Goody or Becky or myself, or put it in the, the offering boxes in the narthex or in the upper atrium. We'd be glad to pray for those things. We are making our way in the Gospel of Mark and find ourselves in chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Listen again to God's word to us. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks to be God is right. <laughs> this passage of scripture is good news for us. And I pray that by the end of the sermon, you will, uh, I, I will have made that clear. Uh, here in chapter 10, we find Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Ever since the transfiguration, he has been on his way to fulfill his purpose in coming to the earth is, as he prophesies his coming suffering and death and resurrection. And Mark tells us here in verse 1 that they have left Galilee and are now in Judea and across the Jordan. They're no longer in, in Galilee in the north of Israel, but are now in the south and not technically in Judea, but across the Jordan River from it, east on the eastern side of the Jordan River in modern day Jordan. In Roman times, it was called the region of Perea. We are told that in this location, some Pharisees asked him a question to test him. And the question was, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? In Palestine, in the first century, as it is today in the Middle East, and as is increasingly true for us here today, every question is political. There's no such thing as simply a biblical or theological question. Every question 
had political overtones. It's like if someone asked me today, Pastor, I have a, a biblical question. What should we do with immigrants who entered this country illegally? Now, the Bible has things to say about this issue, and I could give you my interpretation of what the scriptures teach us about that question, but how I answer that question would give you, would give you all data about where I stand politically. You might even make judgments about which political party I'm a member of based on my response or who I'm sympathetic to. And based on those judgments, you might make other assumptions of what I stand on several other issues. No matter how I answered the question, it would be interpreted politically by many, if not all of us. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife is a similar question. There were two parties in Judaism with regard to this question, two schools of thought, two rabbis who disagreed. The Pharisees were asking Jesus which party was he a part of. The school of Rabbi Shammai or the school of Rabbi Hillel. The Old Testament law, the, the Torah, has only one text on the question of divorce, and that is in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. And there it says, Suppose a man enters into marriage with a woman, but she does not please him because he finds something indecent about her, and so he writes her a certificate of divorce. And the key phrase here is something indecent. Rabbi Shammai emphasized the word indecent, which he interpreted as meaning sexually indecent, as in adultery, and so his school, his party, taught that a man could divorce his wife only for the reason of adultery. Rabbi Hillel, on the other hand, emphasized the word something. Something indecent could mean anything indecent, including ruining his breakfast, or even not being as attractive as another woman. And so they asked Jesus this question so that they can know which party he is in, so they can know how to define him. But this question might have been even more political than this. Mark tells us the story as they were beyond the Jordan in the region of Perea, where Herod Antipas was the ruler. This Herod Antipas is the same Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded because John's criticism of Herod's divorcing his wife and marrying his brother's wife, Herodias. Herod and his wife would not take kindly to another rabbi slash prophet accusing him of adultery. It is interesting to note that Jesus does not answer this question directly with the crowd. It is only, only later, privately, in verses 11 and 12 with the disciples that Jesus directly answers the question. The Pharisees toss Jesus this live grenade, right? And the first thing Jesus does is toss it back. <laughs> what did Moses command you, he asks. And they answer carefully that Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to divorce her. Now, everyone knew that. The question they were asking, the question that Matthew makes explicit in his retelling of this conversation is, yes, but on what grounds is it okay for us to divorce our wives? They wanted a list. What kinds of things can I find objectionable in my wife that would allow me to divorce her? And Jesus, as is often the case, wants to say to us, this is the wrong question. It's like we, if we were all basketball players, we had Coach K here in front of us, and we could ask him any question. So we ask, 
how close can I get to the out-of-bounds line without going out of bounds? Right? The goal of the game is not to get as close to the out-of-bounds line as possible. The goal of the game is to put the ball in the basket. Right? The goal of marriage is not to know when I'm allowed to divorce my wife. The goal of marriage is to have a relationship of love that long, lasts as long as we both shall live. I remember one thing from my driver's ed class when I was in high school. Maybe more than one thing, but one thing I can remember right now. <laughs> that one piece of advice that stuck with me was aim high in steering. Don't try to steer looking at what's right in front of you, the lines right in front of you. Look down the road to where you are going. And it's, it's magic that you do that, and the car just goes where it's supposed to go. But when you are focused on what's right in front of you, you end up correcting and overcorrecting and correct, and you are all over the road, right? Aim high in steering is what Jesus is saying to us. It's the same thing if you try to walk a straight line, right? I, I, I could never do balance beam, right? But if, if I did, right? You, the balance beam, the gymnasts don't look at the balance, right? They're looking where they're going. Because if you look down at where you're going, I try, I try to do this walking on a curb. If you try to walk on a curb, I look at the curb, right? But if I look straight up where I'm going, I can do it. Jesus is telling us in marriage, aim high. What is it that marriage is meant to be? Moses gives us the, that command of what marriage is to be, not in Deuteronomy 24, Jesus says, but in Genesis 1 and 2. Jesus says that Moses gave you the commandment about divorce because of your hardness of heart. He allows divorce. He gives permission for it, particularly in Deuteronomy 24, to protect the woman. But Jesus quotes Genesis chapter Genesis chapter 1, which says, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Why does he quote this verse from Genesis 1? From the beginning, he says, God intended the man and the woman to be together. Marriage was God's idea. God created us male and female so that there could be such a thing as marriage. And then he quotes Genesis 2, 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Jesus goes on to say, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus does not quote the next verse in Genesis 2, verse 25, where it says, and they were naked and they were unashamed. This verse, verse 25, is a graphic picture of intimacy. Intimacy is to allow another person to see me for who I am, without covering, without disguise, without pretense. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin, the very first thing they do is cover themselves. They get fig leaves and cover themselves. And we all learn this early on in life. If we don't cover certain parts of ourselves, we will be made fun of, we will be shamed. And so we live our lives covered up, protecting ourselves. Until we meet a friend, a friend who seems trustworthy. And so we risk uncovering a small portion of who we are. And if they react kindly, gently, then we might risk revealing a little bit more of who we are. 
Jesus is telling us we were created for intimacy. How can I risk exposure and intimacy without a promise that my wife, my husband, my friend will not reject me? Jesus doesn't quote Genesis 2.25, but it is the goal of marriage, the goal of friendship. Adam and Eve were both naked and were not ashamed. And marriage is a covenantal relationship where I bind myself to my spouse so we can move towards the intimacy that Adam and Eve had in the garden. Jesus wants us to have this big picture, this beautiful picture of what marriage is. This is not merely what Moses allows. This is what God commands. This is what God wants for us. This is what our loving Heavenly Father wants us to know and experience. And it doesn't only happen in marriage. It can also happen in friendship. In John 15, Jesus in the upper room says to his disciples, I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. Jesus shared everything with his friends. It can happen in friendship and it is God's intention for marriage. Notice one other thing. Both the law in Deuteronomy 24 and the schools of Shammai and Hillel presume a patriarchy. The question that is asked is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And it was presumed that the man had principal control over his wife. It was up to the man to decide if he had grounds to divorce his wife. The man was the Lord of the marital relationship. But according to Jesus, it is not the man nor the woman who controls the marriage, but rather it is God who is the Lord of the marriage. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate, let no one put asunder. Not only this, but Jesus is also surprising in his statement in verse 11 when he says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. For the rabbis, adultery was something that was committed against a woman's husband or against her father. But Jesus says that the one who divorces and marries another commits adultery against the woman. And Jesus imputes to women a sovereignty of moral standing. A woman has moral worth and standing in and of herself, and not only because of her relationship with a man. Adultery is not just a sin against another man. It is a sin against the woman. And this is a radical dignifying of women by Jesus. Not only that, but he even allows for the possibility of a woman divorcing her husband. In verse 12, something rarely considered in first century Judaism. But the burning questions still remain, right? Is it always wrong to get divorced? And if one does get divorced, does that mean one can never be married again? Matthew allows divorce in the case of marital unfaithfulness, but Mark and Luke don't. Is Mark telling us that Jesus says one should never get divorced? What if abuse is involved? What if there is an unfaithfulness that is so deep that there is no hope of intimacy? That one cannot risk nakedness because the spouse has betrayed that intimacy? What if my spouse is utterly unwilling to repent, to change, 
to pursue the intimacy that God intends for us. Beloved, if you thought I would give you definitive answers to these questions, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm happy (laughs) to talk with you in the house, as Jesus did with the disciples. Come, let's talk more about it. But there are two things I do know for certain. One is that what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. God is the Lord of your marriage, of my marriage. It is not my decision or your decision to end it. If God is the Lord, then it is his decision. We should not end a marriage unless he tells us to do so. And to discern his will in this matter, we need to think much more deeply than to say, I'm not happy and and God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. The Jesus who invites us to take up our cross and follow him is not primarily focused on making sure we are happy. We are called to a greater purpose. If, if, and it's a big if, but if God is calling us to end a marriage, then that should be discerned through the wisdom of more than just one person. It should be the shared conclusion of trusted friends and spiritual leaders. The other thing I know this morning is really good news. I hope you hear this this morning. And that is, the really good news is that God hates divorce. He hates divorce because part of the purpose of marriage is that we might more deeply understand God's covenantal love for us. Ephesians 5 tells us that marriage is a picture for us of Christ's relationship with the church. The love of a husband and wife is a picture of God's love for us. And the Apostle Paul did not come up with this idea on his own. It's throughout the Old Testament. Frequently in the the prophets, God communicates his love for Israel by using the metaphor of marriage. The book of Hosea is filled with this story. Hosea taking a faithless wife as a picture, a metaphor of God's relationship to Israel. We see it also in Ezekiel 16 and Jeremiah 2, and we see it beautifully in our first scripture reading we read this morning from Isaiah 54. Israel is the faithless wife. The Lord is the husband who has every right to reject this unfaithful wife. Listen again to what the Lord says to his faithless people, faithless people like you and me. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandon you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face before a moment, but with everlasting kindness, with steadfast love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, Yet my steadfast love 
will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God hates divorce because he gave us marriage so that we would know of his covenantal faithfulness to us. God has sworn of his steadfast love for us. He knows our shame. He sees our nakedness. And he has promised us that he is not going anywhere like a marriage vow. God hates divorce because he is afraid that if we think marriage vows can be ignored and discarded, then we might think that God might grow weary with us and break his vow to us and discard us. When divorce is common and expected, then we have lost one of our best ways of grasping the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love for us. God has promised, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my steadfast love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. Our Lord said to us, I do, and he will. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we hear this text and we are confronted with our own faithlessness, the own ease with which we make and break promises. We are confronted with our own brokenness in our relationships. Lord, we hear, we see the ideal you have set before us of what marriage is to be and we come broken, not living into that fullness of who you would have us to be in marriage, in friendship, in faithful love for one another, in intimacy with one another. Lord, we pray that we might trust in your faithfulness, and through that, we might be empowered to love one another, to forgive one another, to know and experience your grace with one another. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.